Welcome to the podcast where we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> the recording has ended. <laughs> no, we've only just begun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, we know it's episode 63. Yeah. 1963 was the year I was born. Really? Yeah. It was a very good year. Right. It was a very good year for summertime girls. <laughs> Yes, this is the podcast where you tune in to hear Mark and Greg poorly execute classic, classic oldies. Songs. Like it's it's dusty classic oldies. It's not even classic oldies. I was talking to some friends on uh in my music group on metal about classic and they were saying, Yeah, the nineties. Nirvana. I know. <laughs> and I'm like, Yep. That's how old I am. That I remember that day when I heard Nirvana on classic rock radio and I was like, oh. Yeah. Oh dear. Yep. Yep. 50, 50 it's been 50 years since the 60s. Wow. More. It's almost 60 years now. 60 years for me. Yeah. So, you know, uh it, we're becoming increasingly irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> the wisdom in elders and the wisdom of babes. Which one wins? <laughs> well, we're not elders yet, so there's that. Oh, we can still get away with some mischief. I don't know. I think 60s an elder. I feel like I've begun the elder path. Yeah, you're on the you're you're a youngin as far as elders go. <clears throat> right, but and yet I'm in there. I'm sitting at their table. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're not wearing diapers yet, which they're glad about. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a privilege to get old. Beats the alternative. Does it? I don't know. Yeah. Only the good guy young, said Billy Joel. Yeah, well, who wants to be good? I'd much rather be fun. Can you be both? <laughs> I'm good and fun. The new candy. Yeah, exactly. Good and fun. <laughs> Chocolate coated good and funs. <laughs> You've heard of rubbing the Buddha's head. Lick my bald head and see what happens. <laughs> I thought you were going to just leave it at lick my ball. <laughs> Duh. Head. Ball. Duh. Head. Lick my circumcised head. Oh, dear. Here I knew that go. was coming, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Gentlemen, since all the ladies of less than now. three minutes into it, and <laughs> Greg brings it down. That's that's good though, because I'm the overly buoyant one, and you're the overly gravitational one, Hello, which puts us right in the sweet spot. Amen. Just under that. the head of the clit. Just to the side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're both under pressure. Like I, I'm, I'm doing stuff. I have work to do, but um, the, not the least of which is to try to sign some more clients soon. And then Greg has lots of clients, and he's got work to do. So this might be a short podcast. Yeah, it might be a very short. I would be game for that. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh darn it! You know, we yeah. can talk about how um, my mom is passing. 
and she's still in process. And um, she spoke to my eldest daughter the other day when she was still cognizant and um, asked that my daughter pray for a quick and peaceful passing for her. She's ready to go. She hasn't gone yet. And then my two sisters were down in Nicaragua with her and um, they had to come home and everyone was hoping that she would pass, including mom, that she'd pass while they were down there. And um, I'm sharing this because it's kind of funny, but um, my brother, the other night I'm talking with him because I talk with him almost every weeknight just as part of life, you know, and, uh, and he said, well, I thought of a pillow and I was like, Oh my God, I had the same thought. I thought that probably isn't appropriate to share. And, uh, we both had a chuckle at that. Um, but it is interesting that there is appropriateness to that thought and it's not appropriate act action Certainly no one's going to do it. But then we also thought of um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and the famous and spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Yeah, if you haven't <laughs> uh, read that book or seen that movie. Right. <laughs> then, then I think we're pretty safe to say it's not on your list. Um, and when, you know, the big Native American gentleman suffocates him with the pillow and that was an absolute right act that was an absolute compassionate act that was a loving act well and who you know it, it's really hard to contemplate this doing this with your mother because on the one hand it's like compassionate but on the other hand it's also really weird that this is how it's it's ended up with her well, no one's going to do that. She's going to. But that's the other thing is um, one of my sisters shared this morning how um, two people that we know of passed away and lack of oxygen was part of the process. And it was very it was a, it was very difficult for everyone, including the person passing, because in essence, it was a very slow suffocation and. Um, morphine hasn't been allowed to my mom, which like when my father passed, he was given morphine and it, I think helped him to have a very peaceful passing. Yeah. Well, you, my heart goes out to your mom and to your family because this transition isn't taking it's easy path. It's taking a difficult path right now. And I personally would not want to slowly suffocate and become more and more toxic all by myself as the way I died. And so, um, I feel for your mom's current physical state and the reality that she's experiencing. And, um, you know, I sort of keep expecting you to call me, at some point late at night or first thing in the morning and go, she's, she's finally passed and I'm feeling it and I need someone to talk to. And I, I certainly want you to know that you can do that if you need to. That's very kind. Thank you. And, uh, I think we should cue Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan. (laughs) What? Her song, I feel for you. Oh, Oh, that one. That's right. 
I think I love you. Wasn't that written by Prince? Yep. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. They had a good relationship. Yes. Yes. For a while, for a little while, which seems to be the story with him. Well, we get a little bit of time with the, with the purple, the purple master. I was thinking about that yesterday. I heard like one of the people that was part of, um, his place. I just forgot what it's called. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Paisley park. (laughs) (laughs) I swear I've got like brain anyway. Um, Yeah. So a person, and they said that there was just women in and out, new women every night, you know, just, and I was like, Prince really, like he had a couple of serious relationships, but for the most part of his life, he kept it very solo. Yeah. I find myself curious about that. As someone who considers himself, you know, a relationship coach, I sort of sense that there, there was an inability for him to maintain intimacy that's my projection of what happened. Right. Cause I kind of project there was a lack of desire for long-term relationship, <laughs> you know, cause we both know that there's things that come with that, that are um, energy consuming. Right. Well, I think he liked the, he wasn't feeling no pain when he went down. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. But he was sure feeling a lot of pain that put him on that yeah. toxic substance. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So the the third podcast in a row of, of your mom dying, that's where we're at. Really? Is that, it's yeah. been two. Wow. Right. So it's been three weeks. Has it? That's yeah. crazy of her passing and uh, it's uh, inevitable. Right. Um, But I, when you first mentioned it, I, my, the thought that came to my head is, you know, she might be around for a while. The body's an amazing thing. That's not what the doctors are saying. Well, you know, here's what I got to say to that. Um, I have no fucking idea. And that's what I thought about death and love up a few days ago like it's two things that humanity in our grappling for knowledge it's two elements we have fucking no idea we try to control it it's just like give it up we have nothing to do to hold on to any of it yeah they're the ultimate lessons in surrender yep yeah yeah totally and there's our podcast title are the ultimate lessons in surrender. Yeah. Death and love. Does your mom like to drink? She um, liked drinking wine. She definitely didn't. I share that last week about how she had an imaginary glass of wine with her imaginary friends and she choked on it. <laughs> My sister texted us on WhatsApp like, what the fuck? <laughs> Um, she, she, um, it's interesting because there's a lot of people of our age, even, and her age that kind of getting a little loose at night every night is part of life. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, what are the things that are available to her that could help her numb her pain? Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know if she could swallow right now. Last report I got, which was. Last night, I think, 
was she needed more oxygen and was unable to communicate anymore. Okay. And the last photo I got, which was yesterday morning, she looked very tired. She was sitting up, but she looked very, very tired. Yeah, so it really is imminent now. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let, let's uh, wish her the most easeful transition possible and uh, that she finds the light and glory and peace on the other side. Amen. Yeah. So what do you think is like, there's a couple of people in our life that have had mental breakdowns. I've had a mental breakdown in my life. What is the, um, what do you call those strands that connect muscle and bone? And it's like the sinew, you know, well, there's tendons. No, no. Fascia. Fascia. Yeah. What is the fascia that holds mental thought to stable reality and crazy? You know, Mm -hmm. like what's, what is, what is the, what is the grounding of reality? Wow. Um, Well, there's, there's something about fear that's very destabilizing. And so if there's an absence of, of real love in the form of both verbal and touch, it can become very destabilizing to our nervous system. And when one creates a mental construct where being fiercely independent and not needing or depending on love or touch as a ideal for oneself, as if that's the state that we want to occupy, we, we create a kind of impossibility for our nervous system to manage because it's really not true that we are sovereign at that level. We are really ultimately best in community and best when we have nurturing and caring and touch in our lives. And so I think when there's no one there to comfort us in either of those two ways, that certainly contributes to a sense of isolation, which then ramps and cycles up the fear. Um, Or if we do have access to that, we might not be willing to let it in because we've got a story going about what it means. And so meaning making is a big part of what the mind does. Right. And so if we, if fear is the engine and then meaning making is the kind of the thing that the fear churns out, then it begins to ramp up this meaning of, Oh, I'm going crazy. And then resistance builds and less and less peace is available in that. And so it becomes more and more of an intense experience Like, it'd be fine if someone were just quietly, serenely going nuts in their house, you know, and they they, they had food and water. (laughs) There'd be no visible signs of suffering at that point, right? But clearly, you know, some of the people we're talking about, there are visible signs of discomfort and a lack of peace. So, you know depending on who you talk to, if you talk to a material scientist, they're going to say that that's a 
a chemical imbalance in the brain and that the whole key is to put the right chemicals in the brain. But if you talk to someone who's more of a holistic practitioner, they're going to say, well, there's that, but there's also the spiritual component. And what is the spiritual plane of this person's life like? And what's their relationship to esoteric phenomena and uh, along with that? What's the gentleman's name that was kind of in tandem with, um, oh, God. This name thing is really starting to bother me that I don't. Get used um, to it. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Because it's happening. Who's I've been reading the, about this. There's some things that we can do to help, but um, all right, let's get into that problem. a little later. This isn't a life coaching podcast. This is genocide. Uh, <laughs> um, who's the doctor who kind of is known for creating the science of mind and thought? You know, any whole oh, you thing. You mean with, Steiner, Doctor Freud. Um, Freud, thank you. All right, who was in tandem with Carl Jung? Carl Jung. Carl Jung. See, had, that's uh, why there are two hosts. <laughs> Carl Jung had a mental breakdown that was very significant, from my understanding, <clears throat> to where he ended up in his, you know, the breadth of writing and research that he poured out into the world. Mm. Well, what I know about Freud was there was some, a fair amount of uh, cocaine use in that life. So much so that he gave it to friends as a Christmas gift. Right. <laughs> and I don't know it. if Jung had that experience, but I know people who've had what we'll call a psychotic break from different kinds of chemical induced states in their bodies. Um, and I would imagine <clears throat> that if you have a history of that, that the cellular abuse that's occurred could eventually catch up with you and you could have some sort of break. That's a result of the internalized damage. Right. But I don't have any evidence to that. That's just kind of my, my take on it. Like my psychotic break was, I was around 18 or 19 and um, I don't think it was from, I was doing a lot of drugs, but I think, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Were you just about to argue that you don't think it was about the drugs? Is that yeah, I'm, I'm going to continue that argument. Okay, Your good. Honor. This will be fun. <laughs> Go ahead. I think it was, um, God, I really don't know. Spiritual crisis? Absolutely. Yeah. But that's so vague. Because <laughs> kind of the fulcrum of <clears throat> the break was me selling my soul to the devil, believing that that's what I had to do to be a rock star. And we were all dreaming of being rock stars. And it wasn't any religious, I mean, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I didn't do any ritual things. I just was hanging out. Did you decide that you'd done that? And that's what caused the break is that you had decided that you had done that and you had regrets about it? Well, my personal experience is that I did that, yeah. and I really believed I did it. It was just a very casual, you know, like, hey, if that's Got what it. it takes, do it. Okay. Then I had an experience that I believe was a change of character to a degree. Like, I would say my ego blew up, where I just, 
I was everything and no one else mattered. And, you know, I was winning games, you know, like just games of chance, like backgammon and, and people that I usually would sort of feel a little lesser than I was feeling like, you know, like it's, more it's no, that. it's no coincidence that uh psychologist doing a bunch of cocaine came up with a concept of what a super ego is. <laughs> <laughs> your honor i'd like that stricken from the record <laughs> um, <laughs> what's what do the what's the judge say when he goes no fuck you sustained no no that's what oh, he no, agrees uh, um oh now it's my turn for the senior moment well it's both of ours i guess <laughs> Good thing we're not lawyers, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I am test. I am I obsess. I am so you, you, what you're anyway. saying is you recognize that there was this aspect of what was happening that was secondary to the chemical composition of your bloodstream that had to do with this idea of your relationship to spirit. Right. So then what was interesting is I remember um there was sort of a Changed, and I think like the moment that I remember of things going from great to bad um, was Sid had gone off to university up in Humboldt, and I was like, "Yeah, he wasn't. You know, he was too weak for the band. He couldn't be in the band. You know, it's all working out perfectly." And he came back, and I was like, and I remember having an experience of like, "Fuck." this is my friend. Like, what am I doing? What is going on? And I literally threw up because I, you know, like I'll never forget that the, like I threw up from what I was realizing literally. Um, and then I went into very dark, paranoid place of fear of utter fear of, um, yeah, where it was dark. And what's interesting did is... You pray, did you pray for redemption during that phase? Every day, Mark. Every motherfucker. No, what, what I mean day. is during that deep, dark phase at the time, do you remember praying for redemption and saying, can you save me from this deal I made with the devil? I think that's been a part of my process of healing throughout the years. Absolutely. Literally and but not localized to that time frame that you're talking about right no, now. No, I've done work on that very, I've done work. I have done work with healers and myself around that moment of making that agreement. Yes. So, you, again, I don't think you're understanding my question. I'm going to try one more time. Okay. Right after you threw up. When you're in that really deep, dark space in the, during that. No, I wasn't. That's, that's when I started the dive, I think, down into the deep. So when you were in the down into it in that week or two days or three weeks or whatever it was, do you remember praying for redemption? I don't know specifically about that incident. So you didn't appeal to God to change the, the deal with the devil. I have. But I don't know if it was around that incident. That's, That's what I'm thing. asking. Right. So, so I would I say no. Let's just say no. I don't remember that. doing that. I don't Thank remember you. doing that. <laughs> it wasn't until later that you prayed for redemption. Well, I think at that moment I was like, okay, I made a mistake. This wasn't a good idea. Okay. 
That's why I so you weren't that. quite ready to turn to the big guy in the sky and and no, like, th- see that's where. It... Is this frustrating for you? It is because I think the big guy in the sky. Well, first of all, you and I both agree that's kind of a tongue-in-cheek phrase. So, um, <laughs> and what cheeks they are, I must say. <laughs> um, you know, speaking of cheeks, there is something about the feminine derriere that is a beautiful thing to caress. And anyway, I get it off topic here. Um, so, it's just a little uncomfortable for you. Do you want to avoid this subject now? I am wondering why I brought this up. Like, what the fuck was I thinking? We were talking about the origins of insanity and how you right. had a break that was related to how you thought you had right. made a deal with the devil and that you had inflated your ego and that it had nothing to do with the massive amounts of drugs you were using at the time. Right. So does that um, have any bearing on the, the folks? Like I'll just say the person that who I remember, well, we'll just say S like that guy actually had a psychotic break as a result of, amphetamine use. Hmm. And I think that permanently damaged their brain. Hmm. And once that happens, um, any sort of predispositions that you have towards imbalance become more pronounced. It's like an injury that you, you, you never quite get are able to throw again the way you used to. It's the right, same idea. Right, there is right. a physical component to it. Right. And, <clears throat> In the context of this conversation, there are three planes of existence that I think are relevant, physical, mental, and spiritual, right? And the physical and the mental are intertwined. And And spiritual isn't? Well, they are. It is. But the the connection that the, as you called it, the fascia, the connective tissue is a little bit different, right? So they all work together. So if there's illness in the form of mental disturbance, there's a probably a combination of all three that are happening. And the, the mental piece is related to the physical because of course our mental activity happens as a result of our thinking. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I know from myself that when I'm hangry, that's, (laughs) I'm not at my best. Right. So that's a really simple, simplified version of it. Right. But when you add on to that, the mental activity that we create around the ideas of what we think spiritual aspects of our life are, that can create a box. It can create a kind of flywheel for the fear to continue to rip through, depending on what context you weave for yourself, right? And you had convinced yourself that you had made a deal with the devil, which... Well, I didn't even convince myself. I just did it. It's like if you went and opened a door, you didn't convince yourself you opened the door. You just know you did it. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, as usual, those things are a raw deal. You didn't get what you asked for. Well, that's what's interesting in a stereotypical devil story. I did. And then I got the raw end, you know, like, and, um, but I will say that part of my journey in life is now I believe you can't really sell your soul. And it's an interesting thing when I think about, like I met someone who told me he 
experienced a real live exorcism. And he was telling me some stories in, um, of his experience in this hospital where a young boy was possessed. And I don't doubt this person. I don't think they were lying to me. So in the contemplation of good and evil, and part of my belief is that ultimately love is eternal and that which is eternal can't be harmed. Very, you know, like Course yeah. of Miracles. Yeah. yeah. So, so ultimately a person can't sell their soul. It's impossible. Right. But in the meantime, we do seem to have a good and evil thing going on in our physical existence for sure. Um, and well, both of these are mental frameworks, right? If you believe that you've sold your soul, that's one thing, right? And if you believe that it's good to do this or it's evil to do this, then that's another thing, right? And then the thing about good and evil is that it actually, you know, one man's good is another man's evil kind of thing, right? right. You know, depending. Yeah, on like I just when, um, I just saw a video recently of this boat going down this river loaded up with coal because West Virginia just had been released from the laws that were inhibiting coal. coal. Yeah, yeah. And this woman's on her porch just happy. It's going to be like, oh, thank the Lord. Like, look, that is just finally, you know, like. Because that's how her life has has worked. That's right. sort of the context of her right. life. Is the coal was the lifeblood of the economy where she is. Right. That's what I think is very interesting when we think of change. To um, aid all those affected by the change and it, with the change, you know. Like you were talking about coal, like there's a whole lot of people whose livelihood has relied on coal for generations. Well, we, one of the things that I can see into here is that if we recognize how stupid we're being and how far down the trail of self-annihilation we've gone and how much momentum we have behind going down that trail, it can easily turn into something that would be a, a, a enough of a mental break because of all of the sadness and fear that goes with it. Well, there is a, a group, I think they're called Oceans 40, that I started following on social media, I think Instagram or TikTok. And they show these videos of just mountains of plastic that they're pulling out of the ocean, like right on the beaches. Just like if that is a sure sign of disease, I don't know what is. And well, it's both. That's what's so odd about it. It's confirmation of our worst fears about the way we're impacting our home. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's also a reflection of the glimmer of the possibility of the cure, of the healing. Right. Yeah, can you imagine so, what it would be to eradicate plastic from use on this planet? Well, if you try to determine that as a deterministic final calculation it'll make you crazy <laughs> right fuchsia will start tearing <laughs> if you do the math fascia what's it what's it called fuchsia fascia fascia is it fascia 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 fuchsia is a color right right 
It's also a flower. Oh, really? Yeah. It's probably a perfume then, too. Yeah. And incense. <laughs> it's the color of my cheeks when I think of taking off my shirt on the show. Well, let's see that. Let's not. <laughs> I like your shirt, by the way. It's a good shirt. Yeah. Yeah, like so it. what I was getting at was when we try to know, it becomes maddening. When we think we've figured it out, we can come to the conclusion that it's all futile or that it's all, you know, kind of crash down around us and there's nothing to do. And, and, and that tragedy can spill over into a sense of futility and that, that can spiral into a fear cycle and a deterministic, we're doomed, you know, I'm doomed and nothing can help. And this is sad. And then it just begins to feed on itself. Right. You know what? I'm just thinking of Trump and when he lost the presidency and how he chose anger instead of fear. Like, it seems like, like he was just like, I didn't lose. Like he just wouldn't go there. And the more it was being pushed, like, no, you lost the angrier he got until it erupted into this riot on the white house. What's hilarious, this subject to me, because my dad and I were talking about it at the time and I looked into for a number of years, there's some serious evidence that the electronic voting machines can be compromised in this country. Oh, yes. And they would leave no trace of being compromised. Mm -hmm. And so considering my bias against Trump, I was ready to believe like, oh, there's no way that this was uh, fixed, that the election is fixed. There's been, you know, there's been literally, I think they, there were like 60 different lawsuits that all came back showing no Where that it wasn't. Wow. That's crazy. Right. And so on the one hand, my rational mind is see it, it there was no way the election was tampered with. Right. But right. on the other hand, I understand technology enough to know that it's completely possible with electronic voting systems to leave no trace of the shenanigans and that we've known about this for over 15 years. Like there has been documentary after documentary made about the subject. Right. So this is great because the, the reason I'm able to mentally stay stable is because I can hold these two paradoxes in my mind at the same time without feeling disturbed by it, without having a cascade of irrational, emotional so come up. Does, does the idea that Trump was right, that he really was screwed out of a win, create any fear in you? Fear? Um, not really, because I see kind of the futility of the, the it's a Biden Trump. It's like a distinction without a difference. And I think a lot of people would argue with me. In fact, I could argue with myself if I wanted to, but the reality <laughs> is that there's a, a, there is a very significant um, sort of narrow bandwidth in which politics work. And it's not guided by the people. It's not guided by this idea of, you know, we can turn left and do really great things. It's it's there's aspects of it. And it is really about a control matrix, right? Yeah. 
Um, and it's, you know, the president, the current president, um, select was, was just past this thing where he's forgiving a certain amount of student debt, loan debt. And mm-hmm. people are talking about that as if it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. And things tend to break down around those things along the same ideological lines, conservative versus Democrat. Right. And so I just see this as another form of uh, the muddling through reality that humans are in. Like we we call a pile of plastic out of the ocean and we, now we have visible evidence that like there's huge amounts of plastic in the ocean and Oh, we got some of it, right? It's like these two things at the same time. And it fits right into my paradigm, which is that the, the processes of growth and decay occur and are simultaneous, right? That's what samsara is, which is the, you know, Tibetan term or the Sanskrit term for growth and decay all at the same time. It's this juxtaposition of things. Um, I also think that since we're talking about mental health in this context, that there's a thing where if in a society, a social construct that is inherently insane as far as survival of the planet and peace and, and, you know, spiritual healing, then, to be awakened is to be insane <laughs> by the versions of the, right. by, you know, by the judgment of the social contract. Right. So yeah. in one sense, it's not like we were talking about earlier. Is it a spiritual awakening or is it being crazy? Right. And Trumpa talks about crazy wisdom, you know, Chogyang Trumpa, one of the great Tibetan scholars right. of the Western era, he talks about how crazy wisdom is the thing. It's like we kind of have to be nuts to have wisdom at this point. Or as Seal said, you have to be a little bit crazy to get by. What was that song? I just butchered the you word. Make me crazy. No, that's not no, Seal. No, no. We all. Ah, fuck it. Who cares? <laughs> seal. Um, Gotta get your MCT oil going, Greg. Yeah, better get something going. <laughs> there we go. Another nap. That's just <laughs> I don't have time for a nap. In fact, I'm ready to call it a day. I think we've covered absolutely nothing very succinctly. Recording stopped. <laughs>